All right. I don't think you need a sermon, that's for sure. Let's, uh, let's pray, and then we'll roll this morning. Heavenly Father, uh, what an honor it is uh, to be in your house today. Uh, to Lord, uh, to think uh, basically four years ago when we started this journey here on the west side, and uh, when we come in this building, we know that you're here. Your presence is here. Your power is here. Your spirit is moving. And Lord, we know that today we've called this Baptism Sunday, but uh, all of us have decisions to make every day of our life, and that is, are we going to trust you? Are we going to obey you? And Lord, if we have wandered from you, Lord, are we willing to do whatever it takes to get right in that path again with you? Thank you for loving us so much. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Uh, in these next few weeks, <clears throat> you're going to hear a lot about the word heart and there's a lot of things that pull our hearts away from God, and we're going to get into some of those. Uh, but it's also Decision Sunday. We set aside a couple Sundays a year. Uh, we realize that people have decisions on their heart. And uh, so we always want to have a, a couple Sundays a year to give you an opportunity to just let you know um, that we're here as a church family to help you with whatever decision God may be working on you. Have you ever thought about the heart and how important the heart is in life? It's mentioned 725 times in the Bible. The heart, the physical heart, is amazing. It beats 35 million times a year. There is a system of blood vessels and arteries, and the travel, uh, the blood traveling through. If you were to take every artery out and every vessel and you lined it up, it's 60,000 miles. It would be like going around the world twice. And it's interesting, they've charted when they have the most heart episodes in the hospitals. Guess what three days are the highest ranked days? Here we go. <laughs> um, December 26th, December 25th, and January 1st. That makes sense, doesn't it? Did you know there's only 61 shopping days left till Christmas? Merry Christmas. Guard your heart. You might want to check out your insurance. Doesn't know. I'd say that's probably when you get the bill. That's probably number four. And then I was looking at the billboard, top songs of all time with the heart in the title of the song. Here they are. Number one, Total Eclipse of the Heart, Bonnie Tyler. Heart of Gold by Neil Young. Stop Dragging My Heart Around by Tom Petty and Stevie Nicks. Did you think you were going to hear that in church? I think you did not. Those are the top three. But everybody knows the greatest heart song of all time. All of, all of us know this, and we can sing this if you'd like, Achy Breaky Heart by Billy Ray Cyrus. I mean, come on. Is there anything more? Yeah, there is a lot of songs better than that. Proverbs 4.23 says, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Guard your heart. That's the decision for all of us today. Are we willing to step back and say every day, God, please guard my heart because I know how important it is? Leonardo da Vinci said this, tears come from the heart, not the brain. So let's talk about a couple ways that we need to guard our heart. First of all, is what I simply call the stress test, the stress test. We need to go through stress in life. Um, you probably know this, I'm kind of cheap. And so a few years ago, there was a thing in Bloomington called Providence, and uh, they would, uh, they would do these experiments <laughs> with people. Uh, you'd eat weird things, and they'd test you, and I'll do blood work, and then they'd pay you for it. So, you know, my motto was, poke me, prod me, pay me. You know, so anyway, that was, 
So in one of these things, I don't even know why they did this. They said, we want to we wanna gauge this certain particular food along with uh, exercise, and so we're going to weigh you in consistently, and da-da-da-da-da, and so we need to give you a heart stress test. And I'm like, well, you don't need to. I, I don't have any problem with the heart. They said, well, that's, that's okay. We're going to give you a stress test. I said, fine. You know. Now, here's the, let me just share with you the dumbest question to ask a doctor before a stress test. So I get on the treadmill, and I said, so what's the record? <laughs> that was a really dumb question. He goes, what do you mean, what's the record? I mean, like, What's the highest anybody's ever, like the, the limit and how long they go? He goes, oh, don't worry about it, okay? And I remember when I rolled over and I'm sweating, and he's like, by the way, you did not get the record. You know, and, I'm, and then I started thinking, this stress test is actually kind of dumb, isn't it? Hey, we're going to stress you out. Maybe you'll have a heart attack. We'd like to see it. I mean, that's kind of the way I felt about it. I don't think it makes any sense. But I want you to think about spiritually. That's exactly what God does with all of us. He said, listen, here's how you learn to guard your heart. You learn to trust me. And there's only one way that you need to learn how to trust me. And what's that? Stress. Because it's in the stress of life that we have to make important decisions. Remember, there's a, there's a wonderful story in Exodus chapters 13 through 30. And it's the, the story of the Israelites who came out of bondage. And they left Egypt, and uh, this nation begins to learn how important it is to guard their hearts, and they begin to trust the one and only God. And Moses is always the, the in-between, and he's the mediator, and he's talking to this nation, and he's instructing them step by step, God will take care of you. He wants to take care of all of us today. Whatever it is you're stressing this morning, maybe this was a terrible week. Maybe you got an unexpected bill that came through. Maybe some of you have a relationship right now that is borderline toxic. Whatever it is you're struggling with right now and the stress that you're feeling, it's the same stress that the Israelites are feeling, and it's the same recipe. The recipe is this. you got to trust God. And God has this remarkable conversation with Moses, and it's letting him know as the leader of this nation that someday they will see the promised land. Now, here's what's interesting. When I was doing some study, when they came out of Egypt, and God began to share with Moses the game plan. Remember, God's the only one that has the GPS at that time. You see what I'm saying? He sees the map. He's created the world. And so he's giving Moses a lesson right now. He said, Moses... Good news, bad news. Here's the good news. The promised land is actually only about two weeks away. But the people that you're leading, they are not ready. If I send you on the straight and narrow right now, they are not battle-tested. So allow me to get them ready, and trust me, it's going to work out. Battle-ready. What do I mean by that? Uh, there's a movie years ago that I love, and it's called We Are Soldiers. And uh, Mel Gibson gives this speech in it, and uh, the reason I loved it is that the backdrop is it's a graduation for these new soldiers. And so here's all their parents, and, and they're all sitting there out in this open field, and uh, it's a time of celebration, but Mel Gibson's character realizes this is no time for celebration because the Vietnam War was just beginning. And he, he realized they don't realize the danger they're in right now. So listen to his words to his soldiers and to the parents of those soldiers. 
Now, here in the States, some men in this unit may have experienced discrimination because of race or creed, but for you and me now, that is all gone. We are here, and we are soon going to enter the valley of the shadow of death, where you will watch the back of the man next to you, and he will be watching yours, and you won't care what color his skin is. They say we're leaving home. Well, we're going to what home was always supposed to be. I can't promise you that I will bring you home alive, but this I promise you by Almighty God, that when we go into battle, I will be the first to set foot on the field, and I will be the last to step off, and I will leave no one behind, dead or alive. We will all come home together. So help me, God. That's the kind of leader I want to follow. And that's the kind of commitment it takes to go to war. And God was telling Moses, that's the commitment this people do not have right now. They are not ready for the battle. There's some stress they still need to undergo. And that's tough for a leader to know that the promised land is less than two weeks away, and yet they're not ready. Matter of fact, there's a map I want to show you. This is an interesting map. And this is the journey that the... Okay, so I want to show you. If you look right here, this is the distance, about 11 days. And then this is what they actually did. Anybody know how many years it took them to do this little camp out? 40 years. By the way, that was not part of God's plan. God never intended for them to wander for 40 years. So the question is, what happened? And the answer is they fell in the same trap that many of us do when we go through stressful situations. We look for a shortcut. Stress makes you believe that everything has to happen right now, but faith reassures you that everything will happen in God's timing. Don't take the shortcut. The Israelites needed time to grow in their faith in God. Instead, they chose the shortcut. Do you remember that old hymn, Trust and Obey? How many remember that old hymn? Trust and Obey, for there's no other way. It's so true. There is no other way. This week in our men's Bible study, um, Robert shared with us, Robert Blevins, that uh, the Israelites, this is an amazing task. There were 603,000 men over the age of 21. It's estimated a nation of nearly 3 million. Imagine leading that kind of a nation. And the one thing they had in common is they were always complaining and they were always looking for shortcuts. And I'm so glad we're not like that. We're not wired that way, are we, at all? Matter of fact, Exodus 32:30, we see the walls start to come off. You know the story. Moses is going up on the mountain, and he's in the presence of God. He's there for 40 days, and he brings down the Ten Commandments. And as he's bringing down the commandments, God is really angry. Anybody remember why? Because they already gave in to every fleshly desire. They gave up on worshiping God, and instead they worshiped what? A golden calf. That's the shortcut. They're so impatient. Here God is saying, the promised land is right here. And what did they decide to do? They decided instead to take a shortcut. So Moses stood in the gap, and 
this is the key word. It's atonement. He was ready to reconcile the Israelites back to God. He was willing to do whatever it took to sacrifice because God was ready to just wipe them out. And he begged for them. The Israelites were so willing to surrender to today and sacrifice tomorrow. And how many decisions have you made? And how many decisions have I made in my life that that's exactly what I do? I sacrifice tomorrow so that I can have something immediately today. Think of how many lives have been shipwrecked because they go for the shortcut. We all know about shortcuts. There is not a, there's not a week go by that I don't have at least two conversations about a shortcut to get to somewhere in Bloomington because of the war zone we live in called I-69. You know what I'm talking about? You, you'll sit down and it, usually it starts off calm and then somebody will go, have you ever tried to get from point A to point B? And it's like, oh, I can't believe it. And he goes, I found a shortcut. Now my wife told me one the other day and I'm, it was not a shortcut. I'm moving back through RCA Park and there's speed bumps and camels and donkeys. I mean, it, there was no shortcut. We all know in life, though, the, that we pay a price for shortcuts. So I want to share something with you, and I know you know this, that it's hard sometimes because we sense we're crying out to God, and there's that patience factor of, God, are you there? And do you know the stress I'm under right now? And he does. Matter of fact, there's four responses that God shares with us when we're praying to him. The first response is, yes. It's when God and through his spirit, we know it's time to step up and to do something. And it's time to get up and to get the job done. It's what I call the thing that keeps you up at night. And it's the thing that gets you up in the morning. And there's a huge difference. The stress in life that keeps you up and you worry about it. That's not from God. That's not from God. But that, that urge inside you that keeps you up at night and then it gets you up in the morning. That's God saying, yes, go. Go, go. And then sometimes it's simply no. If it's not something in your life, if it is not consistent with God's word, it is not consistent with God's will. And that is the absolute truth. God doesn't care. And I've shared this before. He doesn't care if you're happy. I mean, what a cheesy word anyway. He doesn't care if you're happy. He wants us to trust and obey. And if it's not consistent with his word, it is not consistent with his will. And here's the hardest one. Wait. Wait. Boy, I need a t-shirt with that one. That's the message for John Robertson. Many times I'm crying out to God. He's like, John, seriously, you, you've got to be patient. Don't you hate that word? Patient. Patient. There's a reason why when you go to the doctor, he said, you're a patient. Because that's what it feels like to wait to just wait on God's timing because his timing is perfect. And then God's fourth response is simply, are you kidding me? Seriously. Sometimes we pray and he's like, within 20 minutes that will pass. You know, please. But God wants us to have this communication us because he knows that life is stressful and he's always there. He's always there. That's the lesson from the Israelites and it's the condition of our heart this morning, all of us. That's why in just a moment, I've asked Larissa Hannon to come up a few weeks ago at Emmaus. She shared her testimony. And I want you to hear from her heart uh, how important it is to just, just surrender to God and let God work on your heart. 
and then let God do what only God can do. Can you give Larissa a huge hand as she comes? Good morning. Um, like he said, my name is Larissa Hannon, and uh, I've been married to my husband, Scott, on Wednesday for 26 years. We have uh, three children, Connor, Jordan, and, and Sarah, and uh, we uh, were both raised in families that, that went to church every Sunday. Um, we're very strong Christian and Catholic families. We dated for eight and a half years, but neither of us had developed a personal relationship with Christ um, apart from our families during that time. I don't think his name was even muttered once um, during our eight and a half years of dating, not until we decided to go to premarital counseling. And uh, the minister talked about things like um, having Christ at the center of your marriage and um, the importance of faith and, and even asked us, you know, did we plan to, to uh, take our future children to church and, and have um, Christ be the center of our, our marriage there and to, to raise them in a Christ-centered home? Those questions didn't seem important at all to us uh, at the time um, until we d decided to start talking about a family and, and I was pregnant with my first child and I just felt this extremely strong pull to get back to the church and to get back to my roots and, and make Jesus the center of our lives. But my husband um, felt differently at that time. It wasn't his priority and uh, it just began a, a very uh, turbulent time in our marriage. It was a very lopsided um, household, and as you can imagine. Um, it's hard to run a household on, on that uh, type of existence. It was really hard to see eye to eye when we didn't share the same priorities or outlook on life, and it was nearly impossible to raise children in, in a home like that. So for many years, I prayed for God to surround my husband with, with uh, people that loved God and loved my husband and would point the way to God. At the same time, um, I tried my own brand of encouragement coercion, guilt trips, um, ultimatums, those come-to-Jesus talks in his office, um, an elbow to the ribs on decision day just to get him out in the aisle, to get him up here, um, to, to just make Jesus the center of his life. And I can't believe that none of those things worked. It's just amazing to me. But about six or seven years ago, and, and when I first started praying for my husband, this was like in the mid-90s, um, but about six or seven years ago, I was just really at a low point um, in our marriage. Um, I had just come home from my own Emmaus walk, and I was just really just on fire for the Lord, and I just wanted to study everything about him. I um, started making going to church and you know every week thing, and, and uh, every Wednesday I was in Bible study, and I just really was growing in Christ, and I, I wanted my husband to have that same relationship with him. I just, just wanted that so badly for him because I just knew that, that life would be so much better with, with Jesus in his life. And, and I just wanted that so badly for him. And I just remember just feeling so discouraged and weary and lonely. And um, I just cried out just very fervently to the Lord just to please just tell me what am I doing wrong? What is What can I do to just bring him closer to you? And I just, it was the most audible voice that I'd ever heard God say in, in, in all my years of praying. It was just the most audible voice I'd ever heard. And he just simply said, get out of my way. And I couldn't believe it. I thought, what, what? I, I thought I was being your strongest supporter. I, what am I doing wrong? What, what is it that, that I could do differently? And he just simply over the next couple of weeks showed me that, that, um, that it was just between him and Scott. 
that it was just something that he was working on with him. It was just a matter of just you know, letting God just marinate on his, on his heart. And so my prayers changed for him. I just prayed that, you know, when we walked into church on Sunday mornings, that, that the, the word would just feel like it was meant for him, that he would just marinate on that and just soften his heart. And he just also made it very clear to me, God did, that, that God only gave me one job to do, and that was to love my husband unconditionally and just love him on his behalf. And so um, I'd love to be able to say that things were just so peachy after that and that, you know, um, that things just worked out wonderfully just you know, on that next day. But God began to change my heart. When I'd asked for so long for God to change my husband's heart, he started with me first. And I wasn't even aware that I needed it, but I did. I did need it. Um, God doesn't always give us what we want, but he always gives us what we need. And I needed that first. So over the years, my prayers became more specific for my husband. My husband is a very rational, very logical, science-based person, and he had a lot of questions. So I asked God to encourage my husband to, first of all, seek him. I wanted, I, that was my biggest prayer, was just please just don't ever stop seeking. I want you to seek, I want you to seek, I want you to seek, because I know that God promises that he will find, he will find him if he seeks him. And I wanted him to find the answers to the questions that were most important to him, but then to trust God with the answers he wasn't going to find on this side of heaven. So I also enlisted at that time my prayer warrior sisters, and many of them are sitting right here in the sanctuary right now. I am just indebted to you for the rest of my life. My husband has no idea how many people were praying over him. Um, if any of you know Bonnie Dyer, and I feel like everybody knows Bonnie Dyer, but uh, on, on the east side is where I normally attend, and she she's in the uh, balcony every Sunday at 9 o'clock or 9.30. And we literally, strategically, I planned to sit right below her, and she would literally pray over my husband um, every Sunday that she saw him walk in. And that was just something that she did day in and day out for him. Then just out of the blue, on a Thursday afternoon in February of 2016, uh, Scott texted me and just asked me to meet him at the church to speak with John. And I really had no idea what it was about. I just knew that it had been a very difficult year, and we'd seen John a few times to talk to him about some things that were on our heart. And so I met him at the parking lot. I got out of my car and said, what are we here to talk to John about? And um, I said, was it, you know, this, A, B, C? And he's like, no, it's not about those things. And then I thought, oh, no, are we getting a divorce? What, what, you know, what are we, what's wrong? I didn't know what was what was happening. And uh, he just said, no, I've just... I decided today I'm going to get baptized. And I don't seriously even remember what happened in the next minute or two because I, I think I blacked out. I was just so, so overjoyed with what I'd heard. And um, I said, well, we need to tell our kids about it. And you know, we have three children, but he said two of our children are already inside the church. And I, I couldn't believe it. It's, I just felt like somebody pinched me. I I can't believe what's happening. So we put on our hip waders. Um, John took his confession of faith, and then something that I never thought would happen in my life on this side of heaven, I was able to baptize my, my husband. And it was the, the greatest day in my entire life. It was February 18th, 2016. 
I will forever remember the feelings that I had that day and, and how thankful I was to, for God to just to be so faithful and, and never stop pursuing him. He, he left the 99 to go and find God, to, to go and find my husband, and he did. And he's doing that for each and every one of you. He, he will never stop pursuing you. He will always chase you down. Um, just something I just want you to take away from this is to never, ever stop praying for your loved ones. Your prayers for others are your acts of love for them. So never, never, ever stop praying for your, for your loved ones. God hears your prayers, and he cares for the big and small prayers. He cares for everything about you. Don't talk to other people more than you talk to God about your people. Always take your concerns to God, no matter how big or how small. He, he wants to hear what's on your heart. And God led me to share this um, this scripture with you today. It's um, Hebrews eleven six, And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. May God be, may God have all the glory in this. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Uh, that was one of the greatest uh, memories for me as a minister uh, to be honest, uh, I, I just seems like yesterday. And I, I remember when, uh, gosh, I'm gonna get through this, but I remember once you came out of the bathroom, and everything. When Scott said, it was almost like you brought me to Christ. You need to baptize me. And we have those, all these waiters there. And I remember I said, I'm not getting in those waiters. You're all getting in the waiters and getting in the water, and I'll take the picture because it's, uh, it's a reminder to me. And I love what Larissa said. Don't ever give up. The decision today, one of those decisions may be baptism. Some of you may be struggling with that decision, but here's another decision that I want to lay on all your hearts. My guess is there's so many of you that you have somebody right now on your heart, and I just want to strengthen and encourage you, don't give up. Don't give up your prayers. Don't give up on God. I love what Larissa said, and she's absolutely right. Keep, keep seeking God through your prayers. That's the second way we guard our hearts is we develop a game plan. Psalms 90.12 tells us, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Our everyday matters. Jeremiah 29.13, you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. Keep, keep pursuing God. I love the title. Uh, Angie Smith wrote a book called Chasing God, and that's what I'm talking about. You just got to keep chasing God. I want to close with a text that I know you've heard many times, uh, especially uh, I grew up in the Christian church, so I cannot tell you how many times I've heard Acts 2.38 preached. It's just all the time. Uh, but I want to back up, and I want you to listen to verses 36 through 38. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And when the people heard this, this is Peter talking, and when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the apostles, Brother, what shall we do? And Peter replied, verse 38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We love to fast forward, and we love to get right to verse 38. What do we do? And if you grew up in Christian churches, well, you've got to get baptized. Now, I'm not picking on the Christian church. Well, yeah, I am, okay? Uh, I grew up in the 
So I'm telling you, I heard the word baptism a lot. I just heard it a lot. Now, I'm not saying that that is not an important step in life, but don't miss verse 37. Don't ever miss verse 37. And they were what? Cut to the heart. There was something in their heart, and they knew, I'm not right with God. That's why they asked the question, what do we need to do? Because they were cut to the heart. Are you willing to allow your heart to be broken? Broken for the things that break God's heart. Are you willing to let God cut your heart? That may be where you're at right now. You just need God to help you to do the next right thing. One of my favorite pictures, sometimes I just love to close my eyes and try to imagine what this was like, is the the moment when Jesus walked into Jordan and there was John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was completely blown away. He knew his whole life was to prepare the way for Jesus. And there's Jesus. And of all things, Jesus wants John to baptize him. Can you imagine that? And I love it in Matthew 3 because, and I'm paraphrasing, John's like, how could I possibly baptize you? You need to baptize me. And I love Jesus' response in verse 15. Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this. Here's the paraphrase. John, I want you to be a servant as you've always been. John, I want you to baptize me because it's the right thing to do. That's really what it means. It's the right thing to do. I don't know where some of you are at this morning. I don't know the condition of your heart. Only God knows that. But I know that there's a lot of decisions here today. For some of you, it's giving your life to Jesus Christ and taking that first step, just saying, I want to be baptized. I want to experience the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That may be your decision. For some of you, your decision is you've been searching for a place to call home, a church to call home, and we want to be a part of your family. And for some of you, it may be like Clarissa. Your decision this morning is, I have been giving up on God. There's somebody God has laid on my heart, and I need to make a decision to not, not ever give up, to never give up. And we have some folks that are going to be up front with me. We're going to have our decision hymn. We don't do this every Sunday, but today we are. Uh, this decision him, and if that's what God is laying on your heart, we pray that you'll just take that step and uh, allow God to do what only God can do. He can change your heart.